Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Thoughts from a Balcony. Today we have on Luke Brown and Luke is a great friend of mine who is a triathlon athlete, humanitarian, and former college football player at John Carroll University. Luke and I jump into his most recent triathlon and how he learned how to properly swim to prepare for his big race. Next we go over his marathon for charity that he completed during the height of COVID around the city of Pittsburgh to raise money for the local food bank. We get to discuss his service experience at John Carroll and how it helped him gain an appreciation for life. Luke goes over his eight days of silence that he took in January of this year and how transformative that was for his relationship with his thoughts, emotions, and the outside world. We talk about life after sports, his plans for post-college life, and the importance of following your heart to operate at a higher frequency in life. Luke is one of the most interesting friends in my life, and it was truly a special experience hearing his life stories. Thank you for listening and hope you enjoy. All right, what is up, everybody? Today we have on one of the more interesting people in my life, Luke Brown. So, Luke, thank you for coming on, brother. Thank you for having me. I, re- I really appreciate it, Trevor. Absolutely, dude. And, and I've been really looking forward to this conversation. And when I say you're the most interesting man, I think of you as almost, and, and listen, David Goggins, he's in his own world, but I feel <laughs> like he has the same mindset as you, right? Like you do hard things to make yourself better. You're trying to better yourself by figuring out and challenging what your body can do, what your mind can do. So I, you know, I have a list of things here that this man has done. Um, Let's start, I think from the most recent thing you've done and that's the triathlon. And, And I know I was talking to you a little bit while you were prepping for it. Um, But how did that race go and and kind of, you know, why did you want to do that in the first place? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. So I guess I got to go back to senior year, second semester senior year, which is only six or seven months ago. And uh, just finished up my football career. John Carroll played four years there. And I kind of felt this void in my life, like I needed something to challenge me, like for four years and and even before that, like there was always sports in my life, something that was always, you know, something to chase, something to challenge me along the way of this journey of life. And um, I'm just like, you know what? I haven't swam in a while. I'm kind of enjoying this running thing. I was running a couple miles here and there. Um, my dad's a biker, so I knew I could uh, could uh, pick his brain about how to bike and what I need to do to train for that. So I'm like, all right, let's just do it. And I just signed up. And there was three distances. There was the super sprint, the sprint, and the Olympic. And it's just my mentality. I'm just like, all right, I'm going to do the Olympic. So it was a mile swim, 26-mile um, bike ride, and then a 10K, 6.2-mile run. And started training for it. Um, really was focusing on swimming and biking. Cause at that point I was doing a decent bit of running, felt like I could really conquer that. Um, and just joined the YMCA and started swimming laps. Uh, and it was not easy at first by any, by any stretch of the imagination. I could go 
on a good day, a hundred meters and a, and a mile is 1600 meters. So the first month of training, I swear to God, I was waking up in the middle of the night with tears of like not being able to finish the race, like getting pulled out of Lake Erie because I can't swim a mile. Like that was, that was a, a true realization that I had. So I just started fit. Like, I was just like, figure it out. Like I started texting people. I knew that were swimmers, um, trying to pick their brains. And then I, I found this book and it's, it's all about swimming. I listened to a podcast with Tim Ferriss and he talks about this book. It's called the total immersion swimming method. And it taught Tim, Tim Ferriss how to swim a mile in two weeks. And he couldn't swim hundred meters. I was like, Oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever. So I read the book. I listened to the podcast, switched up my whole entire form, probably like six weeks before the race. And I was just, I could crank out a mile. Like I, it just happened. I, uh, I trained and I feel like from having such bad form and going so hard during training and then just kind of really learning about how to swim and just slowing down and really focusing on shaping the vessel in the water is what they talk about in the book rather than just splashing everywhere. So I had the endurance and then I kind of tuned into the form and I kind of became a pretty good swimmer. And honestly, that was the easiest part of the race was the mile swim in Lake Erie. And it was just fun, man. And then I got on the bike, um, 26 miles all over Cleveland. It was fun. And then the, the run, which I thought would be the easiest part, kind of killed me. My quads were killing me, but we got through it. It was fun. And now next summer, hopefully half Ironman with my brother. So that'd be fun, which is double that. Damn, dude. That is unbelievable. And, you know, after my career, I didn't run at all. And it's so I know you actually did something. This was while you were still playing. And this was during COVID, I believe, to, to raise some money. And, and you ran. Was it a whole marathon around around Pittsburgh? Yeah. Yeah. We, we my brother and I decided um, it was just it was just so the pandemic was so tough, especially, you know, I grew up, I, I grew up in, you know, a great family. I had everything that I needed during the pandemic. And it was just so hard to sit there and watch the news at night and just see all the tragedies that were going on. And, you know, we would talk about it as a family and I'm just like, all right, let's do something about it. So I, for some reason, I'm like, let's run a marathon. I was on the big David Goggins kick at that point. Just, you know, let's get tougher. Let's do it. Ended up putting it out there. Didn't think I'd get that many donations. And then there we are, ran a marathon with my brother. People met us out in Pittsburgh and ran different parts of it with us. Um, ended up raising $3,500, which was matched by a local bank. So ended up raising $7,000 for the local food bank. And it was just great to see. Like that's, it, that was one of the more transformative moments in my life, just seeing like how much you can do and not even that it's not how much you can do it's how far you can go when there's like a community around it and it's and it's kind of the whole aspect of a football team and everything like that and I'm just trying to find ways to get that into my life and I felt sort of that way within the triathlon community just everybody chasing a common goal it's always you versus you but it's nice to have a pack with you yeah that's that's the one thing I miss about football the most is having that camaraderie, having that brotherhood. And during those times when, you know, you're running 43, 110s <laughs> and your, your back is dying, but you're looking at the guy next to you and, and you know, 
this guy's relying on me to get this work done. And man, that's, that's so crazy that you just picked up and said, Hey, you know what? Let's run a marathon. Let's run a marathon for charity. Cause most people in, in during the pandemic and you know, I, myself included definitely saw what was going on in, in the world, right? A lot of people were hurting. A lot of people were suffering with depression, you know, losing their jobs. It was a serious time, man. And you know, obviously it was a topic of discussion in so many situations, with friends, with family, but it takes those small individuals on the micro level to, to take action and make a difference. You know, it's, it's people like you, it's people, um, you know, I say Barstool, but they're a huge company, but, mm-hmm. you know, helping each and every small business or, or just raising that right. money for the food bank every little bit helps. And, and when we realize that as a community, that's when the real change happens. You know, it's, it's not going to happen at that high level. And one, you know, these are complex problems, right? Like the, the COVID pandemic, this is a complex problem. You're not going to solve it by having one rule or, or one blanketed statement, do this. It takes each and every individual of that unit of that team to make an effort and, and change something. So Dude, like pat yourself on the back because that's not only is that a crazy feat to run a marathon in that single day, just kind of picking it up, um, but to raise that money and, and to really make a difference. I think you achieved your goal, which is, is really awesome to see. And to see the community around you, you know, giving you cheers and, and starting to join in. That's what it's all about, bro. That's what it's all about. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So, Luke. <laughs> you make me laugh. Like I was just going to talk about running and, and how, how much I hate it. Um, you know, we both played football together. Um, and and we talked about this the other night too. You know, I have a lot of knee issues. You don't. And, and you brought something up earlier about form, right? You talked about your, your swimming form and how you change that to be able to swim that mile in the most efficient way possible. I think it's a really important topic to discuss because I see it all the time in the gym where, especially on Instagram, man, the sentiment is work hard. Just got to work harder. Just got to keep working hard. But the more I've come to find out, it's the way your body is supposed to move and how to, you know, move each ligament, each part of that kinetic chain in such a way that doesn't you know, it allows you to stay healthy and and you won't get injured. So, you know, from, from a small age, did your, did your father teach you to run or or was this something that you just picked up right away and have never had any issues? Yeah. So honestly, it was, it was something that I picked up during the pandemic because once again, I needed, I needed that challenge in my life. And I guess I'll just put it out there right now. Like, I feel like if there's not a challenge in my life, then I, I feel like I'm not living, you know, I, I just feel alive when I have something to chase and I still fall back into the loopholes of not having that challenge in my life. But I know that if I want to be, you know, the best human I can be and just energetic and and happy all the time, I need something to chase. So it all, it always comes back to me. So during the pandemic, um, my older brother, Jack, he was an offensive lineman in high school all conference offensive linemen, absolute beast on the field, 
like 240 pounds. Could have played college ball, didn't end up doing it because he had bad shoulders, went on, just went to college and picked up running. And he was just starting to crush it in the running game. So we went back. I grew up with three brothers, two older, one younger, and we're just competitive, like really, really competitive. So he's like, hey, do you want to run? All right, let's run. So we just go out and we start running. And I can't keep up with him to save my life. Um, but just started running, man. I saw how much that he enjoyed it. I saw how good his body looked and how healthy he was. And now he's a marathon runner. Went from a former offensive lineman. He's running marathons now. Uh, absolutely loves it. Um, but I guess it's just what really got me into it is my brothers and I and our competitive nature. Like every time we go home, we that's just what we do. We work out. Like we all get together and we work out, we sweat it out. We love each other. We fight a lot, but like, I feel like working out is really what bonds us. And it, it just creates such a deeper level of connection and bond between us brothers. So that's what it is. Once that's really the reason I was running the triathlon too, is I see my brother out here running marathons and I'm like, okay, that's, that's kind of the standard. Like I can't just sit here and not do something when my brother's out there doing it. it's just it's the competitive nature that that comes with having three brothers and growing up and beating the shit out of each other <laughs> and loving each other it's just that's just how it is yeah no i i totally get that um <clears throat> you know although i was a a single child and only child being in a competitive environment always brings the best out of people mm -hmm. it's just a fact and you know, I'm, I've been doing a lot of research on training for younger adults. And yes, you want to obviously teach good form and teach a good foundation of movement so they can carry that on throughout the rest of their life. But if you want to see them go to that next level, you need to have them in a competitive environment. That's what's really going to challenge them. That's what's going to force them to go that little extra. Right. And especially you're you're around it 24 seven. So it's not you know, there's no days off of, of really pushing yourself and really getting the fullest potential of what you have. Right. And um, it, it shows, man. So, um, you know, obviously you've done a lot of really great things on the physical aspect. But something I've always really admired you for is your volunteer work. Right? Like, obviously, you gave back and, and raised money for charity through a, through a marathon. Um, but even when that physical component wasn't there and even when that challenge for yourself wasn't there, I always see you volunteering. Man. Like, I remember during football, we used to have. So to, to add some context to this, we used to have specific teams um, are, you know, at John Carroll. So I think it was my junior and senior year. And in the off season, there'd be like 10 captains and they would pick throughout the entire team. And each team would have, you know, 10 or so guys. And you'd get points for, you know, getting stronger in the weight room or, you know, say you got really good grades that, that semester. But also there's another component of volunteering. And I swear to God. Every single week I would go in there and check and, and see on the boards, 
number one, Luke Brown. And you look at his volunteering numbers and you're like, dude, I'm going to class right now. I'm doing this football thing. How does he have so much time to do this? And that's something I've always admired, bro. And, and I love that mindset. I think I've really tried to adopt it more. And I wish I learned this when I was younger, but I'm glad that I'm taking it on now and kind of being around people like you is that mindset of, of serving others. So for you, when did that start to really become part of who you are? Yeah, that, that wasn't who I was my entire life. Um, had a couple instances in high school that were really wake up moments for me. Um, and shortly after my junior year, my dad took me to uh, the Dominican Republic on a trip. He's a dentist and he goes out there. He started going out there every year um, a couple years ago to work on a sugarcane plantation and create dentures for kids and adults who are working in the sugarcane fields all day and just eating the sugar like they have no teeth at all it's really sad and uh, so I went out there and I just remember me and my dad just had this crazy intimate experience I got to I got to you know pull teeth with them and and just serve people I mean it was just we were in the clinic for 12 hours a day and it was just really heartwarming but at the same time there was lines for miles or or for forever it seemed like and at the end of the day we would have to pack up shop and there would be people that went home and you know they couldn't be served and I kind of remembered that um you know so I brought that to college with me uh, a year later and luckily enough I didn't take the college selection process very seriously um and somehow I'm lucky enough I ended up with John Carroll I swear to god it's a blessing and I got to John Carroll and I'm just like, I am going to get every single ounce out of this place. Like in four years, I want to do more than anybody has ever done. I want to look back on my four years and just know that I've rung the towel. I don't know what came ab- uh, on top of me like that, but anything I saw, I was just like, sign me up, just sign me up. I'm going to do it, do everything. And luckily I came across this job. Um, that was with the center for service and social action. It started off with me just volunteering. And then I started driving the van with students to volunteer sites and we would do different volunteering uh, aspects of, of different stuff. And the first place I went to just rocked me. Uh, we were at the, the Jennings center for dementia somewhere on the outskirts of Cleveland and a bunch of old folks in there with, with dementia and you get paired up with one guy in a, in a program called OMA, Opening Minds Through Art. And I had this old guy and first day, I mean, he's just, he has dementia, he's completely out of it. And we would just paint with him. So we're painting, he doesn't really wanna be there, whatever. Then week four comes around, he's like, oh, okay, you're Luke. You're who I paint with. Okay, he would know my name. Then week six, oh, you're Luke from John Carroll. By week eight, nine, 10, we're having a full conversation just by like, this human interaction and opening his mind through art. It was such a surreal experience. And I remember that feeling of coming back to John Carroll after with just such a deep appreciation for life, for everyone around me. And I'm like, this is something that I need to continually keep in my life. So I kept that job for a while. 
um, and, and got to do so many cool service events um, across Cleveland. I mean, it was just so cool. And now, now that we're talking about it, like since graduation, that hasn't really been a part of my life. And I'm glad we're talking about it because I'm ready to dive back into it. It's so good. It's awesome. Just the aspect, once again, community, chasing a common goal, making other people better, happier, whatever it is, it only enhances your life. And that's, that's the reason I, I do that type of stuff. I love that, man. And, um, you know, I think it kind of ties in. So I saw this the other day and I really loved it because I think me and you are both at a very similar stage. You know, I graduated a little earlier than you, but in, in many ways, you're a lot more mature than me and have done a lot of things at that, at that late, that late college stage. Um, but anyways, you know, we're, we're in that time of our lives where we went through school we're trying to figure it out. What's our career going to be? What's, you know, what's my love life going to look like? Where am I going to live in the future? What city am I going to live in? Mm-hmm. And you, you're bombarded with questions and trying to figure out how do I make this life worth living? Well, what is the purpose of all this, right? And I saw this the other day about, about this guy who went, obviously went through that same cycle. You know, he was 25 once, just got out of college, figuring it all out. And he made a video where he's 40 now and he's talking to his his 25-year-old self. And he's saying, you know, the 25-year-old is like, so did you get answers to those questions? And, you know, he's like, well, no, not really. And he's like, well, like, well, you know, what's going on? Like, what what is life all about? You know, you're 40 now. You live, you know, you live 15 more years than me. What's going on? And he's like, honestly, man, I hate to break it to you, but it's just more questions. Like they just don't stop. You know, it's, it's more questions of like, how can I get better? How can I, you know, do this, do this. And, and there's constant challenges throughout the years. I mean, wherever you are in life, there's going to be things that pop up. I've said it so many times on this podcast, but as a 40 year old, he was like, the, you know, the only real information I can give to you is like, just be kind to other people. That's really the only thing that matters. And it is funny. You mentioned like being kind and serving other people. It serves yourself too. It's like this natural emotion that gets immersed in you when you are, you know, giving your time away and, and serving other people. It's like, we're hardwired to feel good off of doing that. Right. And I don't think there's any problem with chasing that feeling. And, and I found in the past, you know, despite, you know, getting drunk, whatever type of drug, that best feeling is when you're serving another human being is when that person reaches out to you and says, Hey, your advice really helped me or, Hey, you know, what you gave me here helped me tremendously in my relationship, whatever that is, right. That's the important part of life. And I think the more people who can figure that out, the better we're going to make this entire place for everybody. Um, so it's just really awesome to like, you know, I I'm like really, really feel grateful to know you in my life. Right. Because having people around you who feel that way, dude, it's like a chain effect. And it's like the more people you infect with this kindness, you just start to see it's almost like, you know, flowers start popping up around your life when you treat it this way. I would agree. 
I would definitely agree. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, I've always been someone who goes against the grain. I'm not just going to do something because everybody else is doing it. And don't get me wrong. It was definitely difficult to make time for those different things in college. And I got a lot of looks like, what are you, what are you doing, man? Like, but at the end of the day, like you got, you got to be selfish with some things. Like I, a lot of the service events they talk about, like, and, and the service community in general, they say, this is a selfish act. A lot of people look at it as a selfless act. It's selfish. You're doing it to make yourself feel good. Like that's the main uh, motivator behind it. Obviously you want to help other people and everything, but it's selfish and selfless at the same time. But at the end of the day, like you're making yourself feel so good. Like it's a selfish act. You're doing it for yourself as much as you're doing it for the other person. And mm-hmm. that's just the whole community. It just builds it. It's, it's such a great community to be around. I really do miss it. Yeah, no, definitely. And, and yeah, we can definitely volunteer sometime soon. I, I, sure. I remember um, going down to a soup kitchen down in Cleveland. And it was just, you know, a very transformative experience. And you get to meet these people who are, you know, we're former drug addicts and they're helping out too. And they're talking about their story. And it's like, damn, you thought I had a bad, you know, you thought my challenges were rough. Like, let's listen to these people and, and see where they're at now. Um, but I think you brought up something intriguing and, and I think a little thought provoking of, that idea of selflessness and being selfish, right? Because at the end of the day, you choosing to be selfish is actually helping out way more people. And I like to look at this in terms of fitness, your health, your nutrition, you know, all these things that are perceived to be a very selfish act are actually just making it better for those around you. And it's, it's interesting, you know, when you hear, oh, that person's being selfish, you have this negative connotation in your head. That's the first thing that pops up. But when you break it down and really look into it, you have to be selfish. You have to take care of yours first. You know, I like to use this analogy all the time. It's like being on a plane. When those masks come down, don't help the person next to you first. You got to put that on so you don't pass out, you know? Um, and it's really all about that self-acceptance, self-discipline, and looking internally and saying, what can I do? What can I do to make myself better, but also make myself better for those around me? Right. I, I yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's very true. Absolutely. So Luke, ma'am, um, yeah, what I'm trying to think of, of all the other things you've done here. Um, so, so obviously, you know, we played football together and, you know, you just mentioned about John Carroll and you were a little like nervous, I guess, in the recruiting process. Did you not take it seriously? And what, what led you to John Carroll in, in the end? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, so I went to a high school that was not good at football by any stretch of the imagination. It was, I went one and nine, my sophomore year, lost one game, 70 to nothing. Um, My sophomore or my junior year, we went 
four and six. And then my senior year, we had our first playoff appearance in a while. We went six and four. So I kind of got my first taste of like earning something, winning. And I wanted, I wanted more of it. And I also have a chip on my shoulder. I say I'm competitive with my brothers. I would say this, and this is the truth. I am no, I was nowhere, nowhere near as good as my brothers at football. Like I was always the one, my oldest brother and my youngest brother always excelled. Like, best players on the team, if not, you know, up there. And then me and my little brother, or me and my middle brother, we were kind of, you know, middle of the pack. And I would say that he was a lot better than me at football. So that kind of aided me too. I'm like, I want to go somewhere and prove because my two older brothers didn't play football, you know, so in college at least. So I'm like, all right, I want to play, but I wasn't getting recruited. So I would go on these recruiting visits and I'm like, all D3 schools. I'm like, I don't even know if these guys want me. You know how the there's the hierarchy of recruits. You can tell who's getting recruited, who's getting the time from the coaches. And I was just, I was never one of those guys. Um, funny story about when I actually showed up to John Carroll. I showed up and they forgot that I was coming. So they didn't have a like an overnight guy for me. So I was sitting there. And I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but there, everybody was like scrambling, like calling players, trying to figure out who could host me on their overnight. And luckily ended up with Ryder and Harrison, which was awesome. But I was just like, you know, that first thing you start down. Oh, damn. Everybody's got their overnight. I'm just sitting here in the corner. Everybody's linked up with their guy and I'm the weird guy in the corner that's just sitting there. So I'm like, all right, I don't know if this is the place. Luckily, ended up loving my overnight and what John Carroll had to offer. And once I heard coach when I speak, it was, it was over. I was going to play for that guy. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up at John Carroll. And yeah, that, that was, that's the story, man. It's funny now looking back on it. It really is. It's funny. You mentioned Fanati too, being that determining factor because when I first transferred in, <clears throat> so I had a very opposite recruiting process for me. And uh, I think it inflated my ego to a, a level that it shouldn't have been at. But, you know, as a senior in high school, John Carroll, like, they love me, bro. Like, they yeah. wanted me so bad. And I remember Coach Arth, and this is before Fanati, he's like, listen, whatever happens at Mercyhurst, because I already committed at the time. Right. It's like, whatever happens at Mercyhurst, you're always welcome here. So I always had that in the back of my mind. And when I decided to transfer from Mercyhurst, it was the first place. I'm like, this is where I'm going. I love right. the coach. Like, they just beat Mount the year before. And, you know, I had a lot of friends on the team, like Mason, Todd. I don't know if you were here when, when those guys were here. No, but I've met Mason before. I don't know about Todd. Okay. Yeah, so, you know, men are guys, guys I've known for a long time. And I'm hearing them just talk about how much they loved it. The coach was great. And this is when Staley was with them too, right? So right for, for anyone listening, Coach Staley is head coach of the, the Chargers right now and, you know, recruited me heavily out of, out of high school. So, awesome. um, so cool. <laughs> to, to hear Mason, to hear Mason and, Ty, and this is before he really got an NFL job, but to hear them talk about him, you're like, this, this guy's a genius. Like this guy really knows what he's doing. And, um, how much they wanted me. It was like just a natural fit. I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to go there. And I make the decision and I'm not kidding. Maybe like two weeks later, they decide 
uh, we're going to leave for Chattanooga, Tennessee. So all the coaches up and leave. They all go to Chattanooga. There were some that that kind of stayed, but um, I don't even know if they if they fizzled out or what the deal was. Um, But I'm like, shit, these are guys that recruited me and now we're going to get new coaches in. And I don't know, like, I don't know what's going to happen. And this is a huge step for me. You know, I'm giving up a a full ride scholarship at this place to go play D three ball where I got to go live with my dad. You know what I mean? Just to be able to like pay for school. So it was like, fuck, am I making the right choice? And so I get on campus, whatever. I'm like, well, I already did it, you know? So I I make the move and we're, they're still trying to figure out a coach and they end up choosing Fanati. It was like, you know, a couple other people interviewing for the job, but they, they go with Fanati. And I remember Fanati. I, you know, I played against him in high school. He was a St. Ed's coach and then they were a good team, you know, and, and I really didn't know anything about him, but I, all I knew he was an Ed's guy. Right. And I'm like, shit, great. Now I, you know, I'm from Mentor. I got this Ed coach coming in. Like, What's going to happen? You know, how's he going to look at me? So we get in there. It's like his first, I was going to say press conference, but that's not the word, but just meeting with the team. Right. And Dude, his energy, like, <laughs> is contagious. Like, we just are all sitting down, and I'm sitting there going, I've never wanted to play for a man more in my life. Like, this is the first time meeting him. I don't care how we do. Like, this is this is who I'm riding and dying with. Yep. And I never felt that way before. Obviously, you know, I left, I left the D2 school of Mercier's, like, did not like those coaches there, didn't drive very well, and, and men are, I have my quarrels as well. But, dude, despite everything, Rick Fanati, like, that man was someone I was, <laughs> I was going out on my shield for, you know. And it's funny, it's funny to hear that, um, you know, from you. And I think a lot of players have come up to me, and we were out this weekend. Like, a lot of those old players came up to me and were like, oh, dude, I didn't know that about Fanati. Like, it really humanized him and hearing, like, his perspective oh, yeah. on a lot of things. Yeah, you're because. Right. And, and because, you know, you and you and I, you know, we I thought and I'm surprised you didn't get recruited out of college because I thought, you know, we're we're more talented players. And that's that's the way it is on the team. You know, there are people who are more talented than me on the team and you, obviously. Um, but we're up there and, and there's definitely a, a certain treatment. You're getting playing time, all that stuff. But there's a lot of guys and I'd say the majority of guys, 70, 80 percent of them are are the scout team guys. You know, they're just they're trapped if they're even traveling, but you know, you're having a lot of guys on the team. So from their perspective and seeing, you know, someone who was a good coach and obviously he only has so much energy um, and, you know, maybe he's only like talking to him really quickly or, you know, maybe that player is like, man, I'm third string on scout team. Like he's never paying attention to me. Um, But I I truly believed about Fanati. He cared about every single player. Like he had the idea and going back to that community like every single person, even the guys who like are messing up, right? Like the guys who are making mistakes because those are lessons to the other players too. You know what I mean? Like you can look at all these, these certain instances and really say like everyone is important on this team. And I thought he really, really encapsulated that. And I think that's what makes a good coach, right? Like really respecting every single person on that team and not degrading them in such a way where you feel like a dog, you know, like, I don't, I don't want to feel like a dog playing football. I want to feel like I'm empowered. I want to feel confident on the field. 
And, you know, Fanati really brought that back out in me. And I, I really lost that for a long time. Yeah. Dude, he was the best coach I've ever had. I mean, he made my, my college football experience second to no one in the country. And I truly believe that. Um, and just his ability to give every single person a chance. Like, it didn't matter where you were coming from. He did not care. Like, he didn't care that I was maybe a, a little bit under recruit. He didn't care that they had the top dog. Like, that was all out the window. When camp came around, it was the toughest dude. The runners, the hitters, those were the guys that he was going to put on the field. Like, and he was just such a real guy. He, he, I, and, and I had a hard time dealing with him at first because I had never had a coach that was so hard on me. I just thought he was, was just an asshole. But then, like, you start to realize, and I can't believe I even thought that now, but looking back, like, I was. And um, you start to realize that's just a guy that wants the best out of every single person. And he's going to bring it out of you, whether you like it or not. It's either you quit or he's bringing the best out of you because he ain't going to quit on you. And he's, mm-hmm. he's the man. I, uh, I can't speak highly enough about him. Um, love that man, dude. Yeah, he um, I have so much love for him just because he brought that the, the spark back in me for football and really coming to John Carroll changed my life for the better. And I don't think I if I went through that experience, I, I would be where I'm at now. So, right. So much love for that dude. And, and looking back, a lot of those coaches, too. Um, so, you know, now you're done with football. This is pretty recent for you, man. And, you know, you just you said you were still in school about six, seven months ago um and bro it's like it's a it's a new life right like it's it's very different so what's your focus now are you you know looking to do anything now after after graduation or are you just kind of playing it by ear seeing seeing what's going on with this uh this thing we call life right yeah right now i'm working uh i'm in construction management building houses and uh aside from that man just really trying to focus on myself as much as possible. Um, Since the triathlon, I've I've just been running and I've been on a big kettlebell kick. I feel like I just came to the consensus that a lot of the guys I follow on Instagram and look up to are just kettlebell savages. So I look up to those guys and I'm every day, every other day I'll do like a 45 minute to an hour kettlebell workout. I haven't touched anything other than kettlebells in a month. And I feel so strong. I love them. And I don't see myself going back to anything anytime soon. Uh, aside from that, man, just just really trying to dial in um, on myself and stay stay true to my values. And just I think I, I realized that, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be in Cleveland for for a long haul. You know, my family's not here. I got I got. I have the John Carroll connection here, but my family's not here. And I also don't know if I want to move home. Like my brother just moved out to Colorado. He gained a lot from that experience. He's only been out there for a couple months, absolutely loving life. And I'm 22 years old, man. Like the world is uh, just out there waiting for me to do something. So I don't know what it entails, but I'm doing a lot of thinking right now where I want to, where I want to be at. Um, who I want to surround myself with 
And yeah, it's been a transformative couple of months for sure. But I just want to keep growing every single day, uh, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and just really continue to challenge myself and just, you know, become the best human possible. That's really, that's really what it is. I haven't figured out the way to really spread that through the, throughout the world quite yet, but I do eventually want to, you know, maybe have a platform like you where I could do something like this um, and just, you know, spread positivity, man. People need it. A lot of people struggling out there. I, I totally agree. And I think that was a big driving factor for me too is like, bro, we, we have this limited time on earth. What are you going to do with it? And what's the imprint you're going to put in other people's lives while you're here? Um, so if you're thinking about it, bro, like you got to do it. And right. the, the sooner you start, the better it's going to be. And it's, it's people who, and I, I'd use this word succeed, but I think succeeding is really individual you know, what succeeding looks like for me is going to look way different than it is for you. And I think that's important to understand. Um, But the people who do end up succeeding and achieving what their personal dream is, are people who just never give up on that, are people who start and listen, bro, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm a top podcast on Spotify or Apple yet. You know what I mean? Like I'm getting I'm getting like close to hundred views or something. Each podcast sometimes, sometimes awesome. it's only 20. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Right. And sometimes it's only 20, but it's like, if it's just five, dude, five people just took the time out of their day to spend an hour and listen to a conversation where, you know, we can tell stories and we can talk about our mindsets and they're going to leave that conversation thinking much better about themselves, thinking much better about the world. And having a totally new perspective. And if we can do that for just one person, bro, then all the work is worth it. You know, this microphone, you know, being setting up this, this meeting at at eight o'clock at night and having this conversation, even though we, I know me and you both just work, you know, I went to the gym, like I could easily sit on the couch and say, Oh, I'm just going to veg out. I'm just going to chill out. And don't get me wrong. It's important to do that from time to time because your mental health, is the most important thing. And, and you need to take a rest if, if you feel like you need to take a rest. But I also think you don't t- need to take a rest from things you genuinely enjoy doing, right? And things that bring you fulfillment. Like I get done with these conversations and it's almost bad for me to do this at night because I get like pumped up right. and I get blood, the blood going and I'm just like, I'm excited to tell Carly what we just talked about. I'm super pumped to wake up in the morning and just listen back to it and edit the video. Like it brings me so much joy to do that. And if I was focused on like the, you know, I put in quotes, the success of the podcast, then I would never do it. Like it's, it's for, it's for me, it's for you to have this great conversation. And then if one person listens to it, amazing, that's great. But at least, at least me and you are having this conversation, right? Like it's almost kind of going back to that selfishness attitude you have with, with volunteering is like, I'm doing this for me, bro. Like I love to do this because I have a conversation with you and I get to learn about your story. And then I get to absorb that and try to carry that on through my life. And bro, that's what it's all about, man. Like doing things that you love to do that bring you fulfillment and 
and I put this on my story the other day, like not consuming too much. We're in this consumption period of life where we're constantly looking at distractions. Everything is grabbing for our attention, bro. Everything. Like I have a separate email that's just for advertisements. Dude, I won't check it for like a month and it's up to like 3000 emails. You know what I mean? It's, it's crazy. So it's, it's like you have the ability to create something. You have the ability to shift your attention on something that matters to you and not what someone else is telling you, but you need to have that self-awareness and self-discipline to take that action and take that step and really just take a step forward to whatever it is you love. So yeah, bro, I could, I wouldn't, I think you're, and we, I love having conversations with you, bro. I love being around you. You'd be a great podcast host. So if you're thinking about it, dude, do it or, or whatever that is, you know, if right. it's a podcast or you know something else that I say, just do it, man. For sure, dude. Yeah. And you, you talk about like after a podcast, getting that high and just kind of our boy Eben talks about it, just operating at a completely different frequency and you'll feel, and you'll feel when that happens to you. I've, I've felt it twice in my life not just like simple moments. Like there were, there were two periods of my life where I was truly looking back on it, operating at a completely different frequency. Like something was working through me and I knew something was right. The first time was during COVID and I was, I read the 5am club, which is a great book. If you haven't read it by Robin Sharma. And I followed the 5am club for like two weeks it's like no phone after six o'clock, you're up at 445 and you have this crazy morning routine. It's, it's for an hour, but um, it's just awesome. Just waking up and, and really just working on yourself for an hour every day. That's the basis of it. And going, going to bed semi early and getting a restful sleep. Did that for two weeks. And that's when the thought of the marathon came to me. Like I was just so happy and high on life, uh, just really flowing through my day. And the next time was this past January when I signed up for eight days of silence um, through John Carroll. For anybody, if you're listening and you go to John Carroll, you can't miss out on this experience. It is amazing. You, you get pushed to a whole nother level spiritually. It's, it's definitely difficult, but it's, there's so much to gain from it. Uh, yeah, I did, I did eight days of silence and I really battled it for the first couple of days. Uh, really, really hard. I was really struggling. Um, but by day four, five, six, and seven, and then eight, the anticipation set in. And I wasn't really operating at a higher frequency, but I was genuinely just walking around smiling. Like no matter what I was doing through in the day, journaling, meditating, doing yoga, like the first three days, it felt like a core just, or a chore just to get through the day. Then I lost my watch. I just threw the watch. Time is nothing. And I would just go through my day. And no matter what I was doing, I was loving life. Just kind of did what my heart felt, not what my mind wanted to do, not how my mind wanted to get through, just following my heart. Okay. You want to do yoga for five minutes? You do it for five minutes. You want to get out in nature? Go until you feel the need to do something else you don't want to eat this meal, don't do it. And you're just, you're on this higher 
this higher frequency, call it God, whatever you want to, something is working through you. And that's something I've given a lot of thought to because since getting out of school and doing uh, just working and working out, haven't felt that, you know, not that I'm not happy, just haven't felt that higher frequency, like rumbling through me and following my heart. And I hope one day, and I know one day that I'll get to that level. And our, and our guy, Eben, talks about it. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Eben Britton, former NFL football player. Uh, Trevor and I just love the guy. We, we, <laughs> we vibe with him. I just got his book. I'm going to give it to Trevor after. Just, just an all-star human, so true to himself, tr- so true to the world. And, yeah, that's, that's kind of my thing now. Follow my heart, whatever my heart tells me. And I know one day I'll be operating at a higher frequency, just like I have. So now, like, it's great that I know that's possible um, because now I know it's attainable and now I have something to work towards. That's that's awesome, dude. I love to hear that. And the eight days of silence, that's that's unbelievable. So did you do that? Like, did you have to agree with that with the school and kind of? Because, you know, I mean, unless you did it during a break or something, I can't imagine not like having a conversation with someone <laughs> or, you know, like it, you, there's so many things you got to do on a, on a daily basis. Right. And as a student, you know, you got to go to class, you got to participate. So what did that kind of look like for you? And how did how was John Carroll able to make that? Yeah. So in, in Cleveland, there's a Jesuit retreat center, which has in the basement dorm type type rooms. It's just a single bed and a desk, nothing else. Um, it's really nice that they have a little cafeteria, um, a chapel, and then in the back there's there's woods with wildlife. I mean, you can literally go out there. It's a spiritual place. You can walk up and feed the deer apples, like literally take a chunk out of an apple, stand in a circle with three deer, and they're all just sitting there staring at you eating an apple. It was one of the coolest experiences, especially after six days of silence and not having any human interaction. Um, So yeah, how I signed up for it, an email came out during football and I just read it and then I signed up. (laughs) That's kind of, that's kind of how it went. It sounded interesting and just very naive of me. I just signed up and okay, I can get through this. Um, And I had a couple sessions before they were like, this is your first retreat. I'm like, yeah, they're like, this is a tough one to start out. And I'm like, I'm just going to, I'm going to try it. So they're like, people have done it before. You'll be all right. They were very supportive. It was through campus ministry at John Carroll and uh, had a couple, you know, guided meditation sessions and guided prayer sessions before. Um, Just to put that, this out there, you don't have to be a religious person. I don't even consider myself a very religious person. If at all, I'm still trying to figure that out, but um, signed up for it, man went parked my car walked in took a vow for silence and for eight days you're with yourself you're with, you're in between your own ears you got to deal with a lot of stuff i remember the first night i broke down in tears just because i i i came to the consensus that like i didn't have my mom to hug i didn't have my girlfriend to hug i didn't have my dog to hug Like there was nothing to comfort me other than me. And that was a hard realization to come to. 
Like it's, it's not fun being in the bottom of a retreat center in your single room crying, like on the first night when you have seven days ahead of you. And just a lot of doubt came into my mind. Didn't think I was going to be able to do it. Um, didn't sleep well the entire time until like day five or six, which did not make it easier. Um, but I got through it and there was a lot to gain from it. And this, this walk through the woods, I can remember on day five, just, just watching the squirrels who are for the first time, I realized like so many squirrels running through the trees, just, it's like, you're watching the Olympics. Like you start to notice the little things. Like I was just sitting there watching these squirrels, like they're the craziest athletes on the planet. And I get to just witness it right now. Like little things like that just make you so happy, happier than you've ever been. And it takes going through something hard for you to realize that, you know, I couldn't just, it's, I couldn't just go outside right now and look at a squirrel and have the same experience. So it, it's that, it's that operating at a higher frequency and just finding ways to figure that out, whatever it is for you. Like I know for me, I need some silence every day in my life. I try to meditate every morning and there was a lot, there was a lot to take from that trip. Like when I, when I start getting into a funk, I think back to that and how happy silence, deep thought, journaling, yoga, how much happiness that brought me. Okay. So let's pivot here. I'm not doing stuff that's making me happy. Let's figure it out. And let's do these things that I know from trial and error makes me happy. And it's so great to have those learning lessons to just look back on and pull from when time gets times get hard because they always do man they always come back around yeah i love that and it's like you you now have the tools to deal with those challenges to deal with to deal with whatever comes up in your life and i actually read a book on meditation and it sounds very similar to kind of what you're going through with that, that eight day silence um but it's like using that now that meditation in your daily life, you're stuck in traffic. Now it's an opportunity to practice patience and practice meditation. Someone's being an asshole at the grocery store. <laughs> you know, now it's, now it's your opportunity to practice. All right. You know, com composure and making sure that you're managing your emotions correctly to not blow up on this individual, despite him, you know, externally making you very angry. It's like that show of how strong can I be? How, how, how iron willed can I be to still keep my composure? You know, you don't know what that other person's going through. Um, but when you mentioned higher frequency, my brain just went to two different things. So one, which sounds a lot like your eight day silence is that inner peace, higher frequency where you feel so peaceful. And I, you know, I'm someone who definitely has anxiety quite a bit. And I think Anxiety, you know, we, we use it in this culture now as like, when you have anxiety, it's so bad, or you have stress, it's so bad. Like, that's your body's natural response to stress, to things that are hard decisions, right? Like, you should have anxiety. That's, it means your body's working, working properly. Now, obviously, if you're chronically stressed, that's a different level. But to be anxious about certain situations, that's normal. That's a, a normal human thing to do. But, you know, someone who, is anxious all the time. And then you practice meditation or you are in a deep thought and you have, you know, those, those journaling sessions where you write out all your thoughts and emotions and feelings 
it's this inner peace that overcomes you. It's like this calmness. And I'm almost feeling it right now in this, in this conversation. It's like, nothing else matters around me. I'm in control of what I'm saying, of what I'm feeling. And I feel very peaceful, you know? Right. And I think that's, that's one component of that higher frequency. And then another component, and this, I really like to imagine this when I think of this. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen this video, but it's a video of P. Diddy. He like signs a deal or he closes this business deal, right? And he just throws his phone down after he's like, I'm a savage. Ooh. And it's just like, he's like, you can see how visceral that emotion is and how energetic he is in that moment to complete this task and really do it. And bro, I've had this feeling, especially now that I've gone more to, towards the fitness route, you know, when someone who I really appreciate reaches out or say a video does really well, or, you know, whatever that is, I get this emotion of just like, I'm a savage, you know, and I'm just I'm like really hype myself up. And I think that's also working at a higher frequency. And it, it kind of makes me think of, you know, when you were doing that 5am club, you had this like amazing creative thought to do this marathon. And both of those are extremely important. I think they almost coexist together, right? You need to have inner peace to, to have those creative moments and you need to have those creative moments so you can have inner peace because if you're not creating anything and you're not really doing much with this, this opportunity of life you have, you know, whether it's art, whether that's fitness, whether that's literally whatever that is, that's fulfilling for you. If you're not doing it, if you're not listening to that inner voice in your head, then you're never going to have inner peace because you're always going to be fighting with yourself internally. Like, oh, think about what you could be doing. You know, what, this is what you could be doing and, and you're not doing it. And then on the opposite side, if you never accept yourself and like be peaceful in your own thoughts and, and really have a great relationship with, with you and you alone, and you're not needing anything else to comfort you, then you're going to be able to have those creative moments and have those amazing, like, ahs, you know, and Ooh, I'm a savage, like those type of moments. Um, And it's about having both of those things at once to really, you know, make you reach that full human potential. Dude, I, I could not agree more. Could not agree more. That was very well said. Thank you, Luke. I appreciate it. Um, so, Evan, let's talk about his book because I think you're almost done with it. Yeah, almost um, done. Drop some knowledge on me, man. I'm, I'm excited to read it. I'm excited for you to get done with it and pass that off to me um, because I love this guy. And to give a little bit, bit of background on who this guy is, um, I found out about him through mike tyson's podcast so he used yeah. to yeah he used to run it with mike um and i remember listening to him and it was man the calmness in his voice it's what i try to emulate in kind of a lot of things you know a lot of social interactions i had is like that calmness and seeing that in him it was admirable but also his story resonated with me so well and i think it resonated with you in, in the same way as you know, we're former athletes and the thing about athletes, especially those who go on to play college, but even in high school too, it consumes your life. And especially when, you know, 
you're trying to be the best and you're competing with high level individuals. Like I look back at my career, dude, like that, that junior year that I tore my Achilles, you know, being in that eight man rotation, I truly believe all eight of those guys could have played at the higher level. That's how good they were. And I think even that top four, they were all at least all conference or all Americans, like just absolute dogs across the board on both levels. Um, And, you know, being in that chaotic environment, like you start to thrive in it. And I'm not saying anything against like, those are the boys. I love those guys to death, but it's cut there, man. Like it's a warrior sport and you need to have a certain edge about you. You know, there, there were plenty of times I'm fighting linemen and, um, you know, doing all these things because I'm, my energy is so high my emotions are so high. I care about this so much and transitioning out of that football mindset and out of the sport, it really leaves a hole deep inside you. And I, I remember vividly, you know, it was about four months after I graduated, a bunch of stuff was going on at work. We obviously just, and this is, I graduated at the end of 2019. So four months after that, this is right when COVID hit. And this is around the time when they're like two weeks to flatten the curve, just shut down really quick, you know, that yeah. type of thing. And it ended up being more month. And every, every single week, it'd be like, how much longer are we going to be on lockdown? How much longer? And I remember, you know, you were there, the, the basement at Jake's house. So like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you know, I'm not going into work. I, and for the first couple of weeks, I didn't even have a desk in my room. Like I never did work in there. I was always going to the library or going to work. So I didn't need it. And once we switched to this home environment, it was like, shit, I got to set all this up. And I didn't have that differentiation between work and home. So everything just blended together. And it was like, my brain had such a hard time with it. And emotionally, I was really going through it in terms of stress um, depression, just really not feeling like myself and feeling like I was kind of just wasting life. I was like, what am I doing, bro? Like, this is not what I was put on earth to do. And it was like, I talk about that internal dialogue with yourself when you're not reaching your full potential and you're not stepping for towards things that are fulfilling. And I wasn't in that place at all. And I remember, I'm just going to say it, like I took some psychedelics with a friend and bro, it, it opened my mind up and it forced me and it made me just confront everything I was thinking through and just all these questions I had and, and all of what I'm like deep down internally wanting to do with my life and realizing that like, I'm not doing it, you know? And I just remember breaking down crying for like two hours at night, bro. And I was just like sobbing. Cause I'm like, fuck, fuck, fuck. like it was, it was overwhelming. But I remember afterwards, it was like, oh, it's clear. Like the path is clear. I just need to take that first step. And it just kind of went from there, bro. And uh, I always look back at that moment as a a transformative experience. I can't really remember exactly why I told that story. but exactly (laughs) why you told that story. And that's a reason like we're talking about Evan and how he has kind of probably in some way helped you in your transition out of football. And I told you this mm-hmm. week and I'm like, you're the Evan in my life. You know, like you remind me, like both used to be bigger guys, played in the interior, but so much more than that, just out of, right out of his career, like he understood something, something was off. And so did you. 
and you were able to transition and just try to like take that first step into figuring out what it is and then just take another and another. And he talks about it in the book. It's like, he's nowhere near where he wants to be. Like, I just learned about this. He's going through a divorce right now with his wife. Yeah. And it's just, you know, he talks about the constant battle, but yeah, man, you talk about his voice, just you hear a voice sometimes and you're just, damn, that guy, that guy knows, that guy knows what's up. Like he, he's a guy that I'll listen to. He's a guy that I'll follow into war. Like, um, and he just, this book is so good. It's called the ebb and flow. Um, he, uh, he talks about his transition out of football, you know, his relationship with food, how he came into the NFL as this rocked up 200, uh, or 310 pound guy. And then he was like 340 by the time his career was over, just engulfing food after practice, a couple glasses of red wine and led to a couple injuries, which led to the end of his career. And he's sitting here with some money and no purpose. Like since, since he was a kid, it was all NFL football. Like there was nothing else that mattered and he went through it for sure. Um, which I think a lot of people getting out of, out of sports, especially football do, um, and then, man, he just, he's just the, that guy that's willing to take that step and, and try to figure out when, figure it out when something doesn't feel right. And he's the one that I got, like, listen to your heart. Don't, don't listen to your, well, listen to your mind sometimes. Okay. But follow your heart. Like when there's something inside you telling you something, that's your heart telling you what to do. Your heart knows what you need, you know? And I've really had, just started the book last week and I've listened to a bunch of podcasts with them. But since hearing that, I'm like, okay, like I can kind of differentiate now, like what my heart wants and what my mind wants, you know, it's two different things. And he gives, you know, the, the tools of the trade um, he gives what worked for him. And I, I'm able to take a couple things from that, you know, just like, I love, I love reading stuff like this because just the simple breath work techniques that he puts in there that that's able to put me to bed at night and allow me to get restorative sleep. Or, you know, I don't want to go to the gym after work and I can, you know, use a different set of breath techniques. That's going to like calm my mind and allow me to approach the situation with a clear mind. It's just, it's so good to take in information like this and man, Eben, when this podcast comes out with you and Evan, it's, it's over. It's going to be the greatest ever. <laughs> I got to get him on, dude. I've been trying to reach out. I'm trying to reach out to Jarrett who runs his whole Instagram page and does a great job. Like he runs really, Evan's whole Instagram page. Yeah, dude, no he's a man. Yeah. He's, he's a man. Yeah. He really does it. And I really want to learn from him and kind of pick his brain. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to, trying to schedule a time with him. Hopefully next week I can get Jarrett on the podcast. Um, and just, you know, network from there and, and really try to, cause dude, it's like, we're all people with similar mindsets and right. we're all people who have gone through similar experiences, like figuring and like, he talks about it, right? Like I'm nowhere where I need to be. But for me and my perspective, it's like, I want to be like you, you yeah. know, like I want to be at your level. So it's like, we're never going to reach that point of full fulfillment. And it's like, we've, I don't know what it is about the culture. We think it's this 
you know, it's this house or it's this relationship or I'm going to get married and then life is going to be great. It's like, no, it's the daily actions that you take and the environment that you create for yourself every single second. That's what matters. It's right. not, it's not like, oh, I'm going to get to this point. And like, I, I fell into that trap too, man. I fell into the, you know, going through high school, my whole goal, bro, got to get a college scholarship. Like got to do this. got to pay for my school. Like that's the goal and play football in college. If I can do that. Dream is made. Dream is done, dude. I'm good. And I got there. I did it. No student loans. Dude, got my degree. Like I'm, I'm doing it now. I just need a job. Like just need a great job, solid job something that I just can get great salary from. And I don't right. have to worry about bills. Like, it's going to be great. It's going to be perfect. It doesn't really matter what I'm doing. It's just like, I just need the money. I just need the, the you know, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll figure out, I'll do something. It'll be somewhat stimulating. And I get there and I'm in it and I'm like, what next? Like, it's like a, it's that constant cycle of like, what, what do I do next? What do I do next? And I wasn't listening to my heart. I was listening to, you know, everything on paper that I needed to get done. You know, I wanted to make my, yeah. I wanted to make my parents proud. I wanted to show that I wasn't a loser, you know, show that I'm, I'm smart. I can do this. I'm capable. I can get a job. I can make money. And that's great. Once you achieve it, that's awesome. That's great. But realize like all that stuff is not going to be fulfilling. It's going to be those relationships that you create. It's going to be, you know, us going out last weekend where we're all sitting around laughing, having a couple of drinks, like just enjoying the time. That was or, fun. Hell, dude. Yeah. I had a great time, dude. I remember it like the day after my jaw was hurting because I was smiling so much <laughs> and laughing. And so it's, and it's, it's about, you know, having conversations like these and making good friends and having amazing experiences tomorrow. And, yeah, exactly. You're going to go to this concert tomorrow. And, you know, it's, it's, it's about doing things that bring you fulfillment and bring you joy. And I don't want to say get in this pleasure trap of just like doing things that you love because you got to do things that are hard. And that's a whole nother conversation. I think we touched on for a while. Um, but like you mentioned, like following that inner heart, following things that, you know, you know, internally, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is, all right, I need to do this, right? Like, even if it's just an inclination of like, man, I really feel like I'd love photography, but I have no idea where to get started. I ah, forget it, forget it. Dude, you li you're living in this time now. You can go on YouTube and learn how to be a photographer in 30 minutes. Am I going to say you're going to be the best photographer ever? No, but it's going to give you a great setup for what camera to use, how to angle your shots, how to adjust your, you know, the lighting on each of the photos. Like you can figure that all out now. And there's so much information out there that you can use, like, dude, follow it. And that's the only, and I was saying this to you, you know, about whatever you have, you want to do, just follow it, bro. Because if you go, if you look back 20 years, 30 years from now and say, damn, what if I followed that? What, what could have been my life? do that you're going to be in for a sad existence and you know i haven't gone through that but i've i've seen it you know i've seen it on the other side where someone worked in a terrible job and now they're retired and it's like uh, what do i do now you know it's like dude you're so you were supposed to, the goal is 
how can I do something that's fulfilling that, you know, supports me, but is also bringing about joy to my life that like, can you, can you do that on the daily? Can you be around people that do that and do that for you consistently? Like if you have all that, you're fucking winning. That's, that's what it's all about. That's right. That is the cold, hard truth, man. There's no, there's no one simple fix that, you know, just skip town, move to another city. I'll be happy by the ocean. It's not, it's not, it's just not the case. That might play a simple part in it, but at the end of the day, man, you're, you're in charge of your own happiness and it doesn't, it doesn't just come. We both know that you got to work for it. For me, it's doing hard things. It's having time to myself and eating the right foods, staying hydrated, like simple for me. I don't know what it is for everybody else, um, but I know what makes me happy. And it's, uh, it's awesome to be able to wake up and do stuff that makes me happy every day. You know, it's, it's awesome. I love that, man. I love that all, you know, a bunch of us are, are doing things that we love to do and continuing to, to figure that out. And that's just taking that step forward. It's, it's awesome to see other people doing that. And I support you in so many ways, bro. Um, and it's funny you mentioned about, you know, those main pillars, right? Those things of hydrating nutrition. It, it made me think about when people talk about oh, should I take this supplement? Should I do this protein? Should I do this hundred percent weight? Or should I do, you know what I mean? They're asking these little questions and reality, if you focus on those, you know, sleep, proper nutrition, going in and, and getting, you know, 45 minutes to an hour of exercise daily or, or you know, five times a week, some, whatever fits your schedule. If you're, you know, having quality relationships and eating good food, like those are going to be the things for success. That's 90, 95% of what's going to determine yeah. how happy you are in life. Like focusing on whether or not I should, um, what vacation should I take this week? Like, or what I want to save up for this car. Like dog, don't get me wrong. If you like cars, if you like vacations, I love them too, but realize like these are material items. These are things that are going to fade and go. Well, how can I, you know, foster habits and relationships that are consistent, that are things that do actually bring, bring me fulfillment. Absolute truth. Absolute truth. So Luke, we've been on for quite a time. And really? uh, where are we yeah, at? I think we're almost at an hour and a half here. Damn, dude. When I know. Flew by. That flew by. I know it was a great conversation. I appreciate you so much. Um, you know, to, to finish things off, do you have any any words of wisdom or anything you'd like to share um, with the audience? Yeah, man. Let's see. Yeah, just don't take life for granted, man. Um, you know, continue to grow uh, and surround yourself with people that you really and truly enjoy being around but also surround yourself with people that are, you know, are going to take you to the next level. Like I love being friends with you and Cal because you're kind of transitioning into this life where you might at one point, you know, have no boundaries with what, with, with what you do, you can come on here and talk about whatever it may be and have no, you're not, you're not paying somebody else's 
paying for somebody else's lifestyle. Like, don't get me wrong. I love going to my job every single day, but I've come to the conclusion that all of my hard work is paying for some shareholder that's investing all of his money in and expecting some type of return. At some point in my life, I don't want to have that in the back of my mind. You know, that's what you and you and Cal do for me. Like you bring that into my life. Without you, I don't know if I would have recognized that. So surround yourself with people that take you to the next level. And I don't want to sound like David Goggs or nothing, but I have benefited so much from just doing hard things. It is, it is true. And truthfully, I just, I want to keep on doing harder things. So it's just, it's fun, man. It's, it's Jesse Islich says the best, just build your life resume, get out there, do different things. Um, that's half my thing is just like, by the time when I'm, when I'm old and I, I got no steps left in me, I want to have a whole laundry list of things that I've done. And I can look back on different experiences, just like this one and be like, man, that was awesome. I don't regret a single thing. I just want to go out there, live life, love life and do every single thing possible. Um, and yeah, man, that's it. I appreciate you having me on, dude. It's such an honor um really appreciate it i can't i can't thank you enough i can't wait for tomorrow too so for everyone listening <laughs> uh my dad's birthday was today but me and luke are gonna take him out and we're gonna go see the whalers of uh, bob marley and the whalers are coming <laughs> to the beachland ballroom in cleveland so we're gonna go see them um and it's gonna be a blast dude i can't wait for it but luke i think you you wrapped it up perfectly man um whatever it is you want to go do in life just go fucking do it. Just do it, man. And I hate to sound cliche and like a Nike commercial, but for real, just go and do that. Um, because it's, it's your life. You only get one chance at this thing and who knows what's going to happen. You know, whatever your, your view is on the afterlife, we know we are guaranteed this, this one second, this one day to, to live it to the fullest and take, take that opportunity. Don't take it for granted. Like Luke said, um luke i appreciate you brother i'm gonna i, I don't even know I, i'll probably plug your your instagram i don't know if you create too much more content it sounds like you want to do a podcast soon um and we'll get you on once you get that going and, and start promoting it um, yeah but yeah I, I'll, I got something i got something in the works it's just it's just an idea right now but i've been loving okay. the kettlebell journey and i feel like i i could uh I could put it out there and there could be some people that would benefit from it. So I, I've been talking about it, but dude, after this conversation, I'm so motivated. I'm, uh, I'm ready to do it. So I'm going to go out and start sharing, man. I let's do it. I love fun. it, dude. I love it, dude. And I hope anyone listening, you have that same spirit. So Luke, I appreciate <laughs> you coming on brother. Love you as always. And uh, you, Hey, we'll see, we'll see each other tomorrow. Yeah. We'll see you tomorrow, dude. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed that episode of Thoughts from a Balcony. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to follow along, make sure to go to Instagram at TB underscore Morrison to stay up to date on episode drops and health and fitness content if you're interested. And make sure to subscribe to this podcast so you get notifications from Spotify or Apple whenever a new episode drops. Once again, thank you all for listening so much. Much love.